good to be here with you. My name is John Garcia. I've been a member here at Grace for a few years now. I jokingly slash not jokingly said in the first service that when everyone's on vacation or when everyone gets sick or everyone is out of town or whatever, they, they go to the next list, the D-League. So that's, that's, I think, where we're at today. So thankful to be here with you and privileged to be preaching. Uh, I was talking to Deborah this week, Ford, and I was that I miss her and her husband. And she says, yeah, where have you been? And I says, I've been over there at La Mirada loving my people because I've been working with La Gracia. And it's been a, such a blessing and a privilege to minister in Spanish with them and to love them and to get to know them. And then she shot back. She said, where are your people too? <laughs> and so uh, I'm very thankful that you are my people as well. I'm so glad to be back here at Fullerton with you all. <clears throat> We're privileged people, you know. I think about that a lot. I think about the blessings that we have. I think about all that God has done for us. I think about the idea of privilege and how that extends to so many areas of our life that we otherwise might take for granted. I'll never forget when my best friend, his car broke down a few years ago, and he was thinking about different ways that, that he can address the issue. And I immediately shot to all of the resources that I have available. I said, I know this guy in LA who fixes this. I know this guy over here who'll do this, this guy over here, because I'm poor, right? So I've always said, I have this like network of people that help me fix my car when it doesn't work. When, when I have a car that's a classic, it's not because I'm an antique collector, it's because I can't afford a new one, right? <laughs> and so I'm going down the list of, of of different options we have. And, and midway through sentence, he stops me and he goes, I'm just gonna buy a new one, dude. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> oh, wow, this must be nice to, uh, to have the ability to just buy a new car when, when your old car stops working or just needs an oil change. <laughs> so, I don't know, it's a, it's a privilege that he has that I don't have. I just got back from uh, from Cuba, I was in Cuba for a missions trip. I went there with a pastor friend. We were there for 10 days. We were actually able to minister to some of the top Cuban pastors and leaders in the country. That's a different world out there. We'll have to talk about some time if you know if you catch me after service or something. But man, these people don't have a lot. They don't have the same resources they have. They don't have the same money or the same kind of food that we have. But they're just so joyful in the Lord and they're just so so blessed with the little that they do have. And near the end of our time there, I conversed with one of the guys and, and we got around to talking about wages. And he told us that he was one of the privileged ones in Cuba. And he made $20 a month. And if you're not privileged, you make 10 or $15 a month. So they all have side hustles to help them live and survive. And I begin to think about privilege even deeper and just think like, well, I don't have to think about that type of stuff. I mean, a year's salary could probably provide for hundreds of people over there. It's just, just so different, the things that I assume and the things that I take for granted. I think about our clean water that we have here. When I go to other countries, um, you have to look online for places to stay where the water's clean and you won't get sick or you can use hot water. When they go to restaurants, they always give you water 
out of a bottle, not out of the tap, because it's just cleaner that way. So, so things that I've assumed and privileges that I have as an individual, I've, I've been thinking deeply about. And I wonder how that relates to us. I wonder some of the privileges that we have that we don't oftentimes think about. We come from good families that love us. I was just talking to someone in the first service who's going to be going to Africa this summer, and she'll be working with children in an orphanage. And when those kids are not at the orphanage, they go back to their respective homes or at least caretakers, and a lot of those people don't care for them. We oftentimes, we're blessed. We come from a background where people love us and take care of us. We have good jobs where we can provide for our families. We can take nice vacations and we can treat our children to, to good things. And I think about all of those privileges in light of the ever-changing climate of the United States. As the government passes new rules, as we're amidst the election cycle here and we just don't know where we'll be going. And we have... Uh, that Target just came out and Target has said that they're making a stand on transgender bathrooms and you can use the bathroom that you choose so long as you identify as such. And I just begin to think, how are we responding as Christian people to the ever-changing world around us? And, and what, is, what are we supposed to be doing in light of these things? Privileges that we once assumed, things that we took for granted, we can no longer take for granted. And as, as we make stands for righteousness, as we put our feet in the sand for things that we think are biblical, as we think about what the Bible teaches and who God wants us to be, there's this increasing hostility toward basic values that we're assuming, basic privileges that we take for granted. And I think the United States is getting to a point where we're not going to be able to assume these values anymore, that the world at large has not assumed for a long time. This is so, as we orient our hearts from thinking about these privileges that we have that will soon turn into values that will be persecuted, I wonder, I wonder one question, actually. I wonder, uh, what should we remember when we are suffering for righteous causes? When we, when we take a stand for that which is good, that which is holy in the eyes of the Lord, what should we be remembering? That's exactly, I think, what Peter addresses here in this passage. He's talked a little bit about suffering, but now we're getting to the very applicable part of what suffering looks like. So I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll look what Peter says about that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. First Peter 3, 13. We're going to talk about what we should remember when we are suffering for righteous causes, what should we be thinking about? I think there's a few things, but I think the first thing that Peter says is that when we are suffering for righteous causes, Peter says we should remember that we are blessed, that we are blessed. Verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. First thing Peter says is that 
uh, amidst suffering, we are reminded that we are blessed. It's an interesting way he puts it because he first he says, when you're doing good things, uh, who's going to, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, who's going to treat you bad? We see this in the, in the Proverbs, right? Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, his en- he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. In other words, even the, the, the world who doesn't know God, has no value system, it just goes with whatever, even the world can appreciate some neutrality for inherent things that they believe are good, like, like um, in the name of common grace, like taking care of people or working hard hard, being honest. These are values that even the world appreciates. And then Peter uses a rhetorical device and he flips it on us. And then he says, but, but, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. That's an, that's an interesting concept because I think the first thing we think is, how is it a blessing when we are suffering? Because I'll be, I'll be completely honest. Whenever I suffer to any degree, it doesn't matter if I have a sore throat or a cold or if I'm broke or if I almost get an accident, whatever, I am not happy. I don't ever want to suffer, period. And Peter's actually saying, though, when you suffer, you're blessed by that. And I think the immediate knee-jerk reaction is like, how is that even possible, Peter? How are we blessed when we suffer? We do the right thing, we, 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 we go to church, we pay our offering, I pray to God, and I'm still suffering. How is that a blessing? And that's, I think that's a valid question. And uh, I think there's probably a couple of ways that the Bible talks about this. Matthew chapter 5 and Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. It still doesn't answer the question, but it's further affirmation that there is this biblical principle or teaching that when we are suffering, it is, is a good thing and that there's a blessing there. But I, but I want to know what it is. Maybe the blessing uh, is that it, it helps to form us. Maybe, maybe when we suffer, it helps, it helps form our character. Maybe suffering helps form identity. Maybe suffering gives us new perspective on life that we didn't have before. Maybe suffering for righteous causes is confirmation that you are fighting a good fight. Maybe the best thing that we see from suffering is that when you're doing something good and someone persecutes you for that, Maybe the biggest blessing is that that is evidence of your salvation. The fact that they think you are crazy for doing something good or holding some values, maybe that is a blessing. Maybe that's confirmation from God's spirit that we are in fact his children. And Jesus says that they have uh, treated me a certain way and persecuted me a certain way. They will treat you that way because you are my followers. Maybe that is the blessing that Peter is talking about. Because I think part of our problem as Christians is that we have a different category for what it means to suffer than the world does. So the world has this box for what is good. And what is good in the world's eyes is money and power and fame and sex and success. And I'm not saying those things are inherently bad, but the world's view of those things is very twisted and they all exist in this box. And then we have this neutral box here. And that's a box that Christians and the world kind of share. 
There, we can both appreciate aspects of social justice. We can both appreciate aspects of what it means to be a good parent. We can both appreciate aspects of what it means to work hard. And you go further down the spectrum, and then Christians have unique angles on this that the world doesn't have. Christians say, it's good to suffer because it makes you holy. Christians say, it's good to tell the truth even if it means you're going to get ripped off. Christians say, it's good to do the right thing even if nobody else is doing the right thing. Oh, now we're just talking a completely different language. We're not in common territory no more. You see, the world's understanding of what is good and righteous and what is attainable has no category for suffering. In the eyes of the world, if you suffer, that is a curse that is bad. There is no good of that. Actual opposite is true for Christians. In our eyes, there's actually a very special blessing in being able to enter into that suffering with Christ. There are unique ways that God meets you in suffering. There's unique blessings. God gives you unique visions about what's important and what's not important, what life should look like. Uh, that's something the world can't comprehend. I'm reminded of a good pastor, Matt Chandler. He pastors out in Texas. I've been greatly blessed by his ministry. He's a good man. He's faithful. Some years ago, he was, he was, he's a little older now, but some years ago, he was 35. His church had 8,000. They were booming. He has a beautiful wife. He has three kids. By his own accord, he's got the Midas touch. Everything he puts his hands on is gold. He remembers feeding his baby one day, and he says that uh, he's not exactly sure what happened. That's his last memory. But when he woke up, he was in a hospital bed. And the doctors were around him, and the family was around him, and he was just confused. Apparently, he had passed out. And they got a diagnosis back, and it turned out that he had had a seizure while he was feeding the baby. And the seizure's scary at any point for a number of medical reasons. And as they began to unpack this, and they took an MRI, and, and the results came back, it turned out that it was much more severe than they had initially been prognosed. Right? And then what their initial prognosis was was much different. He actually didn't just have a seizure. This wasn't just like an isolated case. Uh, Matt Chandler actually had cancer. Here he is, doing good things for the Lord, man. He's evangelizing and unevangelized people. He's loving as a wife. He's faithful. He's honest. Uh, I suppose there could be a sense where you feel like Job. You feel righteous. You feel maybe righteous in the nation. I'm doing good things, God. I shouldn't get punished. I'm right with you. I pray. I do what you ask of me. How is it a blessing that I'm suffering? And Matt Chandler says this, uh, God bless him. Uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll read this quote because it's just far more profound than I, that he said it from his own words. Uh, Matt Chandler on cancer and suffering. He says, there's this part of me that, uh, that's so grateful that the Lord counted me worthy for this. <laughs> he's not reading Job, okay? He's really talking. <laughs> he says, to have this opportunity to battle what's life-threatening and to have everything that's dear put on the table next to Christ 
And, and to be able to say, no, he's better. And he's still my preference. And, and to have been given the public forum from which I get to do this, that for me, is why this is a real gift. And I read uh, 1 Peter 3.17, and it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Matt Chandler is living that out, friends. Matt Chandler has his eye on the prize, and even in the most difficult time of his life where he's worried to death because he says his wife is strong, but his children who don't know the Lord, he fears for their life. Even amidst all of this, he can say that it is a blessing that God is putting him through this. Man, that's powerful. That is heavy. And Chandler is understanding a great blessing that comes from suffering as God meets him in a unique way. I wasn't going to say this. I had a teacher friend who she, for a few years, she had, she had cancer. And it was the darkest years of her life. And God healed her from that. But in like a very serious way, she says she had never been so close to God in her whole life as when she had cancer. And almost in a masochistic sense, wishes that she could go back to that because God met her in a unique way during that period of life that she had never been met before. And I think that's part of the blessings that we see in suffering. So, so if, if suffering is such a good thing, <laughs> how do we as Christians experience suffering? I'll give you a couple of them that I see sometimes. Some of us, I think, are avoidant at suffering, avoidant suffering. That means we avoid suffering at all costs. I will probably put myself in that box. I will do everything I can to never have to suffer because I hate it, because it's ugly, because it's uncomfortable. And I wonder if we are robbing ourselves of blessing in ways that God wants to meet us and wants to show us himself in unique ways by not entering into that suffering by doing everything we can to avoid that which is hard or that which is difficult or that which is uncomfortable, we are robbing God of ways that God wants to meet us and bless us and show us himself. So maybe we are people that are avoidant in suffering. Maybe we are people that are angry in suffering. Angry, we don't think we deserve this. We're good people. We come to church, we believe in Jesus, we live out the gospel, and we're still suffering, and, and we're angry. We're angry because suffering has come upon us, and we don't feel like this is a lot that we should be cast. As though the God of the universe does not have or reserve this right to choose your life. Maybe we get angry when suffering comes. Maybe we are arrogant. <laughs> at suffering, we self-loathe in our experience. We act like this is the divine cross that God has given us and, you know, oh, woe is me, and we're just living our lives. I'm not saying that there's not room in the human experience to, to, to channel all of these things. Sometimes we're gonna be angry in our suffering. Sometimes we will be sad and depressed in our suffering. What I am saying, though, is that I hope we can find space in this suffering for God to shape our character. I hope that we can find space in our hearts to remember that there is a unique blessing when we are experiencing suffering for righteous things.
I hope that suffering can change our perspective on life. I hope that we can think about divine things in a new way. I hope we can reprogram the goals and the values that we hold dearly in life. I hope that the blessing that we experience in suffering is a great reminder of our salvation and God's promise to us. Maintaining that in our humanness, suffering is ugly, but also remembering that there's great purpose even in suffering. And Peter says something interesting. Peter says, when you remember that there's a blessing in suffering, Peter says, your heart enters a place where something greater can even happen. Peter says, when you remember that you're being blessed, he says, you can begin to surrender your life to Jesus. You can begin to remember that Jesus is still in control. That's the second thing he says. He says, when you're suffering, remember that Jesus is in control. Let's read verse 14. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy. So for first, we see that when we get over ourselves and realize that Christian suffering is a good thing, we begin to surrender more and we begin to give Jesus his place. And we begin to remember, ah, Jesus is still in control. Peter talks about this in very interesting terms. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. I was talking to Kenny this week and even Gerald after in full confession, brothers and sisters, my heart is heavy with sadness and conviction at how afraid we are as people. How absolutely terrified I am of what someone will think of me or say about me if I said something that they didn't agree with. And that fear just starts governing my life. It governs who we are and what we think and how we operate. And it's not from God, friends. So what happens when we have fear in our Christian life? Uh, a couple things. One of the things is fear. This is important. Fear robs us of our freedom. That's the whole premise of terrorism. I used, to, I used to work for an agency, and we studied a lot about terrorism. And one of the things that they implanted in our brains was that uh, is it important that a terrorist attack is actually successful? Yeah, that's the cherry on top. But what's more important is they actually get the people on board and they actually carry out the process. Whether it actually succeeds or not is not as important as the actual process developing. You know why? Because when a terrorist attack happens, it breeds fear in people. And that's what a terrorist loves. They love to breed fear in people. They love you to be scared to go down the street and have a bagel. They love you to be terrified that you might be on a bus that's going to blow up. They want you to be scared to go outside with your family and go to a park. Fear robs us of our freedoms. When we experience suffering and we allow that fear to govern us, that robs us of our freedom in Christ. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, Jesus has come 
And he is in control and he has prepared a way for us so that we might not live in fear, but we might live in boldness, with courage. And we're letting that fear govern our lives. And it's robbing you of the freedom that God has for you. Beyond that, fear robs God of his lordship. Fear robs God of his lordship. That's why Peter juxtaposes them. He puts them right together. He says, don't have any fear. Don't be troubled by those that are persecuting you. Peter says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. How odd is that? What an odd thing that Peter would talk about honoring Christ while at the same time mentioning that there's fear. What, is, what do those two things have to do with each other? I read from an ESV, but the NASV, I think it's, it's more a wooden translation, we call it, it's more literal. The NASV is very helpful here in its rendering of this verse. The NASV says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So, so what do we mean by sanctify or consecrate? What does that even mean? That's Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, Jesus says. So in other words, Peter is telling his people, Peter is telling us, friends, he's saying, give Jesus his place of lordship in your life. He's saying, when you are troubled, remember that Jesus is in charge. Remember that God is very much a part of this process. I'll never forget, I saw this TV evangelist, and he was talking about his theology of suffering and, and pain, and the human experience. And he was encouraging his congregation. And he says, God's not a part of that. That's from the devil. And I was mortified at that. I'm not comforted by the fact that you tell me, if you tell me that God is not a part of my suffering, I am horrified. Because it means that my suffering is in vain. It means that my suffering actually is a bad thing. It means that my suffering has no real purpose. I'm actually much more comforted when I'm reminded that God is very much a part of the process, that God is allowing these things to happen, and that if God is good, that He has great purpose, even if I cannot understand it, for allowing me to experience the suffering that I'm experiencing. That's our comfort. And so Peter says, give Jesus His place. Acknowledge Jesus of Lord of your life, Come under his lordship and let that umbrella be the governing factor for how you're living and how you're thinking. There's something to, there's something to giving that which deserves its rightful place, its rightful place. There's some surrender that happens there. There's some acknowledgement that something's a bigger part of you. Uh, we have a couple of dogs at home. I, I love dogs. We have a, actually one of them is a, a pit bull. <laughs> And there's this, there's this idea out there that pit bulls are inherently evil and that they're mean and they're vicious and, and maybe all animals can be vicious and, and maybe pit bulls even have tendencies or inclinations. I'm convinced that the way you raise them certainly has a lot to say about that. But nevertheless, fair enough. That pit bull can rip me to shreds if he wants. But I'm convinced also that the, the dog doesn't know how powerful he is. <laughs> he meets us by the door and his tail wags. And it hits the door like that. <laughs> he's huge, man. And we have this, this chair out in the patio. And he sits there like a human, like, like this. 
I, just, I don't think he knows he's a dog. I don't think he knows he's a pit bull. I don't think he knows his power. Uh, one of our uh, friends that lives at the house, he's 50. He comes in and goes like this to the dog, and the dog runs, and I'm like, dude, his name is Bando. Bando, you are like 10 times more strong than him. <laughs> I go up there and I'll throw the ball with Bando and we'll run around and he'll jump on me and he doesn't know his own power. But I know his power. And I never for a second turn my back on that dog and forget who that dog is. I respect that dog. Because if I don't, that dog can turn on me. That dog is powerful. That dog is can be vicious if he wants to. There's something about coming under the Lordship of Christ and remembering that he is the creator of the universe. That your greatest fear is not fear itself. Your greatest fear is the creator of fear. That the holiness of God should cause us to tremble like Isaiah or to shudder like Peter did when he casts his net into the water. There's something to coming under the lordship of Christ and giving him his proper place and allowing our fear to be in Christ, the good master, as opposed to in fear in and of itself, the bad master. So what prevents us from giving our fears to Jesus? Probably a few things. I'll give you two. Some of us have control issues. We like to be in control of our own lives. I put myself right there with you, brothers and sisters. <laughs> I don't like Jesus to tell me what to do. I don't always like Jesus' rules. And it causes a great pain in me to have to surrender my will to his will. Uh, but that's what we have to do in suffering. Because you can't control it. It's outside of your control. And so if you're somebody that sits here and you're experiencing great trouble in surrendering that, friends, know that you are surrendering that to a loving master, to a gracious master. Whether you realize it or not, you will surrender to something. Might as well surrender that to Jesus, who is worthy of that. Maybe we get that and we understand that. It's not about control for us. Maybe for us, it's just about trust. Maybe we have severed trust at this level, and it is very hard to trust at this level. Maybe our parents have failed us or our friendships in life. So maybe it is very hard for us to be vulnerable with Jesus because we just cannot trust people. Friends, we, God is... Not like us in any sense, Isaiah says, chapter 55. And that's a good thing. Jesus has come before us so that we might trust in him. So that we might be empowered in him. So that despite human frailties and the lack of trust we have at this level, we can have divine trust at this level to know that God has upheld his covenant even if I have not upheld my end of the bargain. God is still faithful to me. And Peter says, listen, friends, he says, when you suffer for righteous causes, he says, 
I want you to remember that you're being blessed, even if you don't think so. And you say, okay, I got it. And then he says, and then when you begin to surrender those things, you begin to give Jesus his rightful place in your life as, as Lord and head. And you go, I got it. And then he says one more thing. And he says, and when you suffer, he says, remember to evangelize. Remember to evangelize. Verse 15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Uh, the last thing Peter says is when you realize it's a blessing and then you come into the Lordship of Christ, he says, now be empowered to use this suffering as an opportunity to evangelize. This is, uh, for those of us that are, are, are read in different capacities, this is the verse that the apologists use. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And it's very much that. It's very much we're shining in such a capacity that we want to tell people about the good news. That's very much true. But even contextually bound, I think it's just so much more than that. He says, uh, let's break it down one by one. I think, it's, I think it's a good thing to do. He says, um, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. And people tell my mom all the time, how come you're always smiling? Why are you always so happy? <laughs> and, and then she has this opportunity to love them well and to tell them about Jesus. So, so it's much more than like having knowledge here. It's much more about the life lived here. And, and so even, even in this idea of evangelizing, there's this sense in which it's a product of the life well lived. In philosophy, we talk about the pathos, egos, and logos. It's important what you say, and it's important how you say it, but maybe it's most important who is saying it. Right? We respect this person. And I think that's part of preparation, is living the Christian life in such a manner that we are shining so brightly that even in suffering and trials and ugliness, there is such a joy that it is attractive to people. It's more than just like hitting people on the head with arguments. It's like showing them this hope is stemming from a real place inside of me. This is, this is genuine. And then after he says, be prepared to show them this hope, he says, uh, he says, and do it with gentleness and, and be respectful. Uh, how, how do we do this? Well, when we're talking to people, we, we grant them common ground. If they say something that's true or right, we say that's true. We, we attack issues, not people. We don't tell them that they're dumb or something. We speak into these issues and and we talk just about issues. And, and we show them great respect as people, as image bearers of God. And, and we be gentle in that process. And then Peter says something funny. He says, and, and have a good conscience when you do that. You say, what on earth does that have to do with evangelizing? Have a good conscience. He's saying that the fruit of who you are inside will manifest. He's saying that your life needs to be clear before God 
before the Almighty so that when you speak, your testimony is coming from a place of truth. That you are speaking as someone who has been formed by this experience, and that is genuine. And then he says this, and he says, and when you have a good conscience, he says, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, hmm, they'll be put to shame, he says. In other words, you'll be so filled with the Spirit, and this abundance of joy will be so overflowing that it will be so obvious that you're speaking from the heart, that people will be ashamed to continue to say bad things, that the vengeance is in the house of God as your testimony speaks of your witness amidst your suffering. You know, there's a guy, I came on the news a little while ago and I recently read the story about him. He's 53, man. He's been in jail for 35 years. When he was 18, black kid, tried, convicted of murder and rape, He's been in jail for 35 years, 53 years old. DNA testing started ramping up in the 2000s, and this agency came to him and wanted to be a liaison for him, and they did DNA testing. And all the while, this man has maintained his innocence, and, and the DNA tests came back, and it was true. He didn't commit the murder, just like he had said 35 years ago. And from the bottom of my heart, I feel the weightiness of that having lived a life behind bars for 35 years. He's never used his cell phone. He doesn't understand what the internet is. How bizarre are those things? And then he comes out and all the reporters swarm him. And they say, are you angry? What, what, what are we experiencing? What's going on? He says, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not angry. I, I can't go back and change the past. And they say, tell us what you're feeling. And he says, I'm just thankful to God. And they say, what do you mean? I've been in jail for 35 years. And he says, uh, when I was in here for 10 years, I just wasn't sure I was going to get out. Then 12 and 15 years. And then they got into the 20s. And he goes, then they got into the 30s. And I thought for sure I'd never get out. He said, but I always had faith. He goes, I always sort of felt like Joseph. Like I'd been wrongfully accused, but God had a greater purpose for me, he says. And he says, by the mercy of God, I'm here now, and I, I'm a witness to you all. So now in his 50s, he's dedicating his life to visiting schools and to telling young kids about God's goodness and his testimony. Hmm. That's how you suffer well, friends. That's how you suffer for righteousness. That's what it looks like to evangelize amidst ugly circumstances. And so Peter says, how should we suffer and suffer well for righteousness? We should remember that we are blessed in this. And then we should remember that Jesus is in control. And then we should use this opportunity to evangelize. Just like the one who went before us. The one who came to live a perfect life the one who was the most righteous, just like the one who came before us 2,000 years ago to live a perfect life, 
so that in his suffering we might find grace. So that he is not a high priest that is uncompassionate toward us, that does not know we're experiencing, but rather the opposite. So that he is the high priest that knows exactly what you are going through. God is not apathetic and so raw removed. He's actually the quite opposite. He is so relational and so involved in your pain, so much so that he sent his son to experience pain before you so that here and now, when you, accept, when you experience that suffering and that pain for righteousness, Jesus can identify with you. And because what he's done, he's opened up the opportunity and he's invited us into that experience so that we might live like him and be more like him. That's, that's, that, that's how we suffer well. That, that's what it means to suffer for righteous causes and to experience that with God. We'll pray right now. I just want to take a couple of minutes. We'll pray silently to ourselves. We'll pray and we'll ask God to, to bless our brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering. We'll ask God to help us to be more bold in our proclamation. We'll ask God to reveal himself to us when we experience suffering so that we might, that might be more real and tangible to us, his blessings. So we'll pray to ourselves, and then I'll pray in a couple of minutes here. Father, thank you, God, that you enter into our pain by giving us your son. That you provide the gift for us of perfection in Jesus. And that he is completely aware of what we experience and what that is like because he experienced it himself. So may this truth shape our character, God. May it change the goals that we have in life. May we have different visions for the future. May we be more heavenly-minded here and now, God, as we seek to do your work. May this change the values that we have, God, and the things that we consider important, God. Use our experiences of righteous suffering, God, so that we might be a testimony to those around us, God. So that we might be like our brother Matt Chandler and just be able to rejoice in these experiences. Help us to be so bold, God. And help us to experience suffering well. We thank you for this opportunity. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.